Let's get sweaty. Welcome to the Shemu Dojo Show. We're back once again to recap the latest episode of Shemu the Animation. That episode being the third of the show run called Yin Yang. We're going to try our best over the course of the following hour or so to provide a full recap whilst also provoking thoughts, discussion, and analysis. Ooh, fancy. Like always, I am James Brown. Yes, it's always me. And as always, I'm joined by Matthew. Can I squeeze another exhaust somewhere on this computer, although it has the power of one? I don't think it quite sounds like a jumbo jet yet. Oliver, <laughs> how's it going, dude? Yeah, good, man. How are you? Yeah, oh, good, man. Just same as usual. Just can't keep up with life these days. You know, every week's just flying by, isn't it? It's hectic at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's really, crazy. really hectic. You know what actually are video games. <laughs> I don't ever get time to play them. And we're also looking to launch something exciting. Maybe by the time you hear this episode, so yeah. it's just relentless in it, just the way we like it. Yeah, busy, busy. Yeah, and like I say, we're also cruising along rather nicely with the anime series now, Amon. Yeah, I mean, th- three episodes in now, um, and Joe you know, is bubbling along at a really quick pace, nice pace, but a consistent quality. If anybody, I, mean, I say this every week, but if anybody's unsure of seeing this thing, um, you've got nothing to worry about as a Shenmue fan. It is honestly top-notch, does the source material justice, uh, you're missing out. Get involved. I'd be surprised, mate, if someone's listening to this over <laughs> watching the anime. You'd hope so. You'd hope so. <laughs> but you never maybe, know. Maybe I suppose if they're not like affording the subscription or whatever to Crunchyroll and stuff and they're just they're listening to our analysis of the episodes, possibly? Oh, possibly. I mean, you need, to, you need to be watching these if you can. I mean, you can get Crunchyroll codes off of various key seller sites for not very much as well so if you can you can get hold of one then just go ahead and watch it because they're, they're just brilliant brilliant episodes yeah. don't know how dodgy that is matt but <laughs> yeah. just just log on to Crunchyroll and just just buy a subscription why not but the anime analysis trio wouldn't be complete without introducing the brains of the operation the note making wizard titch life how's it going titch Hello. <laughs> yeah, the, the loose word being brains there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you are, especially if you you read through some of your intense note making. Oh, I apologise for the length of them, but I suppose if you know the anime episode was boring, I wouldn't have much to write about. So yeah, That's the more true. notes the better, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just a uh, yeah, pain for us to get through it all, but yeah, mm. for good reason. Yeah, very true. I mean, without your notes. I'd question how good these episode recaps would be, you know, relying on my tumbleweed of a memory. Oh, I'd forget everything. <laughs> Likewise. Well, I, I don't think yours would be too shabby, Matt. Well, you'd be surprised. I'd forget stuff. I just would. But yeah, really good. Yeah, thanks again for all your hard work. Oh, you too. Thank you. You <laughs> can to tackle another Shemu the animation episode. But before we do that, though, Matt, do you fancy giving us a quick whistle-stop tour of the events leading up to episode three so far? This will be quick, and it will be based off of my memory, so hopefully I do it justice. So, episode two kicked off with Rio getting the letter from Yuanda Zhu. Um, he had a flashback to the dojo just after the chai fight. He couldn't read it. It's in Chinese. So the the show opened up very quickly with a flashback 
of the dojo fight while being killed. And then Landy turning around to Rio and saying, what do you really know about your father's past? And if you pursue this, I will ensure you um, suffer the same fate as your father. And it cuts to Rio waking up from what seemingly was a dream, but it gives Landy some nice context. After that, Rio gets up and he's like, right, I need to go and get this letter translated. So he heads off to Dubuita and is not successful in any way, shape or form. Bumps into Nozomi, who says, well, I might know somebody who can help. You're rubbish asking for help. Away we go. Rio then makes the link. Actually, from the first episode, Leo-san said, oh, you know, harbour workers, etc. They they go out drinking in Dubuita. So Rio goes, all right, I'll, I'll have a think. Ends up in Bar Yokozuka and has a quick chat with the bartender there who says, right, go to Heartbeats and you'll find who you're looking for. Goes to Heartbeats, beats up Tony and Smith, trashes the bar in true game fashion and gets information about a Charlie, who we all know and love from the games. He then goes back on his detective ways, hunting down Charlie, ends up at the tattoo parlour, who tips Charlie off that somebody is looking for him. And Charlie's talking about he thinks he's part of the Chen gang. Obviously, we, we know that's not the case, but it's a good little bit of context there. And it then cuts to a scene where Rio finds Galwen, who's had his football stolen by Charlie and his thugs, goes off, beats the thugs up, Charlie legs it, and there we go, Rio's back to square one. Then cuts to another scene where you're outside the arcade, Wang can't translate the letter, and it's just not working for Rio. He then sees Yagamashi, who turns around and says, look, you, why are you seeking revenge? Why are you wanting to know about your father? So it cuts Rio off very bluntly isn't interested in it it then sort of moves on in the story to rio doing a lot of hunting around not really getting anywhere and it cuts to a little flashback scene with rio and his father and rio's reading this um i can't remember exactly what it's called but this anime manga type thing and his father's trying to get him to read some martial arts books but he's just not interested so he legs it so we cut after this scene uh rio is again doing some investigation around charlie because he's, he doesn't know who who he is. And he bumps into Tony and Smith in the arcade, who are like, oh, yeah, we know him. We know him. And they lure him off to go and meet Charlie in the what looks like the abandoned cinema. And they have a big like big fight showdown. Uh, Rio takes out the goons, takes out Charlie. Charlie gives him some information about Landy and says, look, this guy's dangerous. You don't know what you're getting yourself in for. Yagamashi-san sees all of this and... Sort of makes a conscious decision to actually try and help Rio a bit. So he tells Rio, go to Russia China shop. The lady there can translate the letter. And he teaches him the double blow move. And it also cuts at the end to a scene of Shenhua on the cliff with the eagle. And one bit I did miss at the start was Shenhua going through Bailu village, talking to her Shenmue 3 character friends. which was a nice little touch. So that is a very quick whistle-stop tour of Shenmue anime episode 2 from memory. Quality, mate. So... You've condensed the story down from 23 minutes into about a minute and a half. So well, that's good. <laughs> good that's job. Good. Yeah, well done. So let's jump straight into it, guys. We're going to start with the synopsis like we usually do. And like usual, we've got full spoilers ahead for both this particular anime episode. And we'll probably mention some bits of the game at some point as well, I assume. So this is episode three, Yin Yang. And it was originally aired on February the 20th, 2022. So in this episode, Rio finally finds a person who can read Yuanda Zhu's letter, which said, find Master Chen for help. Rio finds Master Chen and asks him about Landy, the man who murdered his father. 
Rio learns that Landy is a high-ranked member of a Chinese underground organization, Chi Men, and is after the two mirrors. So, I think I was with Titch last week, so this week I'll go to Matt first. What did you make of this episode overall? Um, I really enjoyed it. I would say it's probably not quite as good as episode two, um, but that's just my my personal opinion. I think it followed the games very tightly this time, giving a lot of extra context to uh, Master Chen, Guizang, and sort of the things that are going on around there. Uh, we got some really nice visuals of the lore around the dragon and the phoenix and the mirrors. Yeah, it's it's a really damn good episode, actually, um, and shows a lot of respect for the source material. So I, I'm, I'm a very happy man after watching that. There's a lot of little Easter eggs in there as well that we, we'll probably pick up on as, as we talk about it as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it was very lore-intense, I thought. Mm. And I think it's one of those that, at the time, it was a lot to take in, especially while we're doing it on stream. With the Japanese dub as well, it's hard, you know, reading the subtitles and being aware of everything that's going on. So I think it's going to take another watch, at least from myself, to really, really get all the nitty gritty of the and, and really digest everything that we saw there. And I think it could have the potential actually being my favourite. I just going it's going to take another watch, I reckon, to top last week's, in my opinion. But you touched it. Was that another enjoyable one for you too? Yeah, I totally agree. I'd say that was my favourite one so far because the pace story. of the. Uh... It's just I'm trying to get used to the pace of the anime because it's just a completely different like pace compared to the game. It's just so fast and you know a bit, I don't want to say I'm an expert at the games, but you know when you're so familiar with the story and what happens and what comes next, and you can't help but do that comparison as you're watching. Mm. But it is mm. nice to you know have a bit of both worlds really. Like the anime is keeping everything going at sort of full pelt and. Yeah, it's really exciting. I've really enjoyed it again. Yeah, and really, from what we got, we got a lot of lot of like story details and history and lore and new scenes that we're going to get into in a little bit. But overall, it's one of the more like the less action kind yeah. of based episodes. It was it was a lot more storytelling, which I, I mean they're going to have to do at some point, like really delve deep into to the the Shenmue story and lore and stuff. So yeah, I, I agree. I think I, I could see it being potentially my favorite but if you had to rank the first three episodes so far titch um obviously they're going to be 10 out of 10s i'd, I'd assume but if you could put them in a, an order so far do you reckon oh I, I suppose in well not a number ranking but in order of like first second third yeah, yeah. i think it'll be just you know working backwards so three two, two one. one okay yep so two three one for you matt or yeah two three one um two just just shades out episode three for me Okay, okay. Good stuff, guys. Beautiful. So let's get into the actual episode now. So episode three starts with an opening scene in Bailey Village. So it's it's another one of those moments where it's, well, it's, it is the anime taking liberties with the story here and we're introducing a little bit more of Shenfar's world um, ongoing to the plot that's happening in Rio's side of things at the same sort of time. So back in Bailu Village, Shenfar is walking down a familiar path leading into the village centre. So you've got the lovely backdrop of the, the bell tower and the, the village there, and also a little fateful little goat or lamb or whatever is, <laughs> is roaming along beside her. She's actually reciting the prophecy again, which we picked up on last episode when we were doing the analysis. We, we picked up that it's like four times she's already doing it, and she's doing it again now, but... Even though it's like a lot, she's doing it kind of purposely in this episode. Like she's really, really questioning the roots of this prophecy. I think again, it's just another moment to um, reiterate that to the to the viewer 
that this is a, a major factor of the story of Shenmue. And she passes Ming Yang Lei, who she doesn't actually notice because she's so busy pondering who he is in the prophecy. So again, this guy's getting proper friend zoned already. She didn't even <laughs> notice him. <laughs> but he does actually catch up to her at the well, very familiar setting of um, the village square with the well in the middle. And they talk about who he is and obviously the prophecy as a whole. And Ming Yang Lei brushes it off in an arrogant manner attempting and failing to impress Shenfor. And actually, it's quite funny that already he seems to be getting a little bit jealous of who this guy is in an ancient Chinese poem. So <laughs> he's got a bit of trust issues, I think, going on and these these jealousy things kicking in already and uh, obviously doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. So that'd be interesting to see how the, the anime actually takes that once Ryo meets up with Shenfor, which isn't probably going to be in this season, but mm. we'll see how that works out. So he tries to recover himself by changing the subject. This is Ming Yang. And he's now asking her to attend a night festival in a nearby village with him. So this is interesting. This is setting up something that we're expecting to see potentially in a future episode, this night festival that's going to happen in Bailu village or a nearby village anyway. And then it pans to the sky, that eastern sort of sky again. And uh, we don't actually hear the answer from Shenfor, but we would assume that by them mentioning this, is something that's going to factor into a future episode, right? Yeah, I think that's the way it's going to look and the way they're playing it. I, I don't know if we'll get a huge amount with it, but we can we can see how things roll in that respect. Um, I, I've said this on stream. I think the prophecies, possibly for us as old school fans, has been slightly overdone, but I can understand why they're doing it and how they're doing it. So it's, mm, I can see it. I can see why people are a bit divided over it. I can tolerate it, but I can also sort of see where both both camps lie on that one. But I love these Shenhua scenes in Bailey Village. The context around her is fantastic, and it's just setting everything up for for the eventually when they meet and they're they're questioning both of them are questioning something, aren't they? Spags was saying this in the in the stream chat. She's questioning the prophecy. Rio's questioning his father. So there's a common link. There's a common goal there. So when they do meet, they they've got that common directive, if if you like. Yeah, and it, it's just so nice that they're respecting the source material of Shenmue 3, aren't they? The, the Bailu village setting, the characters as well. So after the scene, we skip straight to the title sequence. Amazing song. Everyone knows it off by art by now, <laughs> I thought. And uh, if you've seen that Phantom Riverstone translated version, you're probably singing along as well. So, Matt, if you want to take it from here, probably take the next couple of points, actually. Yeah, no worries. So we cut to a scene by MJQ and Dobuita. Um, it's quite sort of dark and dingily presented, actually. And sort of camera pans over to, um, we know, who's Terry, mm -hmm. sat in a corner, corner booth. Uh, so this is the first time we see him. And actually, it's the first time we see him outside the harbour, anywhere in Shenmue. So it's interesting that he's branching out. Obviously, he knows Charlie. So that could be a reason as well. His henchmen are talking about Charlie and someone who beat him up, basically, and it wasn't actually the Chens. So Terry's like, oh, okay, this is, he's interested by it. He's saying, well, who, who's got you know, the balls to stand up to us besides the Chens? Uh, and they're referring to Rio. So it's, it's planting those sort of seeds that the Mad Angels are, are aware of Rio without actually knowing too much about him at this point. Mm -hmm. So there's clearly more to find out there. It's a nice touch of just getting a bit more context to terry's character because obviously it's building towards a 70-man battle and we all know what happens there yeah it's interesting seeing terry out of the harbor isn't it as well yeah it is and again it's just is this what the anime does really really well it, it gives us a bit more context that the games couldn't 
and that's great i'm all for it it works really well for new people yeah. and it works really well for old pl- old players and old fans like us who talk about this shit so. well, that's the thing you've got when you're playing the game it's literally the perspective of rio in it you are rio Hazuki, yes. so you're seeing everything happen unfolding from his his vision his eyes there's very few moments where it's showing something happening in a different location at that time whereas like you say the anime is is great for that because we're seeing scenes happening we're seeing conversations happening between all the characters setting up things that happen in the story in the future that are going to affect rio so yeah i, I absolutely love that because like you say it keeps us on our toes it makes the episodes exciting to see how they're going to adapt what we know and love already and what else they're going to add into that as well, which is awesome. Yeah, and there's a lot. I think this this is just going to be a reoccurring theme, I think, through the anime. So to bring it on, bring it on indeed. So we move then on into sort of Dubuita Street and Rio is walking down the street. I love the fact they just sort of show him walking around Dubuita. It's a little nod to the games. Obviously, you do a lot of that in, in Shenmue 1. Um, and he's thinking about the pottery store that uh, Yagamishi um, mentioned to him in the previous episode. So again, they're, they're redoing this little flashback of the previous episode, yep. which I like. It's just a quick refresher. What happened? Here you go. Boom. Off we go. So it's quite, quite clever. I don't know if all animes do it this way, but I quite like the fact they're doing it here. Uh, he reaches the pottery store. It's closed. But he is then appro- approached by Galwen, the young boy who retrieved the soccer ball for. Um, unfortunately, he didn't boot it in Charlie's face. But, you know, we can't have <laughs> it's everything. It's we didn't see that scene, yeah. Yeah. We, you can't have everything in life, can you? Yeah. So we'll, we'll take that. He asks, um, Galwen asks Rio, uh, what was he doing at his house? And uh, proceeds to let Rio, Rio into the closed shop. So it's just, again, it's a little bit of context as to why Rio's there and gives a little bit more of Galwen. I mean, we don't see a lot of him in the game anyway, but it's, again, this is what the anime does so well, fleshing out these characters. Just enough, just enough to fit in the story. Yeah, exactly. It's it's adapted, that scene. So obviously in the game, Rio bumps into Galwen again outside Comenine Bakery. And, you know, he says, my grandmother could probably read that or whatever he says. And then that's yeah. the lead to the pottery shop, really. You, you can go down either two two leads. There's one with like Wang San at the vending machine who says, I think it's his teacher or is it his Japanese teacher or, or some, some sort of teacher? Yeah, He's, that's right. Yeah, something like that. And, and he, he mentions the shop. So one or two ways. And they, they've took the Galwan lead in the in the anime kind of thing, which makes more sense in my opinion because it's his, her, it's her grandson that Rio saved and yeah it just makes more sense then yeah it does and I think it, that's, I think that's the route the game wanted you to take mm. um, obviously Shenmue was quite clever that it allows you to take several routes to the same goal but I think that was the route the games wanted you to take yeah. and it just makes sense for them to pick it up that way in, in the anime yeah definitely so we then go into the Russia China shop Gowan calls out to his grandma who comes out from the back of the shop uh, who thanks Rio for helping him Rio then whacks out the letter from Yuanda Zhu and asks if she's able to translate it. She confirms that the, the characters are mirrored. It's reverse kanji in, in Shenmue 1, it's referred to. Yeah. And she holds the uh, letter up to the mirror, begins to translate it. And the translation is slightly different to the games, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. And I'll pick up on something with this in a minute as well. Mm-hmm. The translation reads, Beware those coming, they seek the mirror. Contact Master Chen for help if the situation gets dire. Signed, Yuan Dezu, which we know is different from the games, whereas beware of those who seek the mirror, seek the aid of Master Chen. So it's slightly different now. Yeah. And then Yuan Dezu. She then notices there's characters on the back that read as, and this is where the translation comes in, 
here in the Japanese subtitled version that we watched on stream, it reads as Father's Sky, Nine Dragons, Mother's Earth, Common Allies. Now, we know this as Father's Heaven, Nine Dragons, Mother's Earth, Comrades. And in the English dubbed version, that is what they use. They use the, the version from the game. But here there's a slight difference to it. Now, whether that's a translation issue, whether that's just what was being said in, in Japanese, they just went direct from it. I don't know. It is a little bugbear of mine, I'll be honest. Well, they did the same in Shenmue 3, didn't they? Because they ended up yeah. doing Father's Heaven. You might have even done Father's Sky in the in the Shenmue 3, thinking about it. Then Nine Dragons, Mother's Earth, My, my Friend. friend. <laughs> yeah, Which was hilarious. Like, I'm just like, common allies, at least it, it, it It's not too bad, is it? Yeah. You, can, yeah. you can understand it. And Father's Sky is a bit off, mm. but it's not ridiculous, but... Yeah, just a bugbear. L- little bugbear of mine. It's probably the only one I've ever had in, in, in three episodes. Well, so you'd think the source material, uh, these, the YouTube aspect of things, uh, I don't want to say that they've got it purposely wrong or they've you know they've, they've tailored. Because we saw with the prophecy, and I think, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, you, you may have heard the Natalie Real interview she did. How she was saying that they were working on the prophecy translation quite a while so there there was like a few different takes of the the translation of that kind of thing so i mean that could be a factor again with this where they've they've tailored it slightly differently to how they see fit i I don't know or is this could it just literally be a mistaken translation again i mean it could just be a mistake did you say the english dub have you we heard the english dub from a trailer or anything yet because we haven't actually watched the english dub he says comrades, yeah. right? Yes, correct. So when the let's because this is part of the teaser trailer from from last week with with episode three. Actually, they show the letter scene, and she goes through it and says, "Father's heaven, nine dragons, mother earth, mother's earth, comrades." So the English dub is correct. So I'd assume then there's no subtitles in the English dub, is there? No. So I wonder if there is, like, say, when we get the Blu-ray or whatever, you can turn the subtitles on, and it says what you know she's saying. Or do you think it will have this? You just use the same subtitle track. Well, I, I have heard that they've with Blu-ray and DVD releases, they do correct things here and okay. there. So it could be so an aspect of that, yeah. It, it could be could well be corrected if 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 needs be. But I mean, we'll just because this could just be a direct Japanese translation. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm no expert on this at all. Um, but it'll certainly be a talking point in the in the community going forward. Hmm. So anyway, they, they translate that through. And on the back of the letters, also some numbers in an old script corresponding to a telephone number, which we know is the telephone number for Master Chen Warehouse number eight. So then it sort of, the scene ends and we end up cutting over to Dubuita Street. Okie dokie. So Rio is now seen at the payphone, you know, that famous pink payphone from the game outside the tobacco shop, Ratasan's tobacco shop. And he's dialing the number from the letter. And someone actually answers the phone immediately with Father's Sky. So it's still got that translation thing we just mentioned there. So he responds with the correct phrases from the letters in sequence, almost like the person on the other end of the call is also expecting, you know, the password, which he is, we know, from the game. So Rio successfully recites the password. We don't have any of that where he he bodges it up and, (laughs) you know, if (laughs) if you pick the wrong choice from the game. But he just says warehouse number eight, kind of like what he does in the game. So Rio then probes if it's the Chen residence that he's on the line to, but the phone's swiftly put down on him after asking. And then Harata-san at the tobacco shop asks over Rio, and he says he doesn't know whose number he's just called, but she suggests that Rio then calls the 104 
for the telephone helpline which will end up giving him some more details about the number. So that's quite a nice touch as well, because obviously that is in the game. That probably is a yeah. real number in Japan. Like You can probably type 104 as well for a helpline, similar to how we can do um, what's ours called over here, like the operator or whatever. You it's, can... it's 100, isn't it, over here, the is operator? It? So, it used so to that's be. His, yeah, that's is probably the same thing, 104. Know, it might be worth trying that, man. I don't know <laughs> if that's still a thing. It was quite a while ago, showing our age there, if not. Yeah, Christ. But yeah, nice touch that that's in there. And then it cuts to, to Rio now stepping off the bus to the harbour. We're getting the, that familiar start of disc two now, aren't we? Yes. Where, you know, I'm thinking of the Dreamcast mm. <laughs> with the discs. If I, if, if I mention the disc numbers, it's because of the Dreamcast. And whilst the voice of the helpline confirms the telephone number is from the warehouse district within the Amihama area, which is why he's there. So he enters the harbour and immediately witnesses three men intimidating one of the harbour workers. Rio tells them to cut it out and that mugging is uncool. Oy. It's got kind of <laughs> that line that he uses in the game. You know, Black Mare's way uncool. Yeah. So two of the men recognise Rio from Sukahai and step back almost as if they know who he is and of his reputation. So if they're any you know, if they are familiar with him based on the story of the anime, we know he's like this badass martial artist who one punches people in <laughs> karate tournaments. So the harbour worker that these guys were intimidating runs off and Goro starts trying to throw some punches at Rio, but Rio's moving side to side and swiftly dodging all these, these punches and causes Goro to stumble. And then on Goro's last attempt, Rio actually blocks the attack and sends him flying into a collection of oil barrels. Everything goes flying as per typical anime. There's <laughs> <laughs> a nice, nice good thump there, isn't there really? Another one of those brutal moments. And the other men flee and Goro cowers under Rio's presence and then offers his help. So we got that sort of typical scene there where Rio's seen asking Goro where warehouse number eight is and Goro points behind Rio. So this is slightly different in this scene actually because obviously from this point, Goro, I don't know, he, he, in the game he purposely or mistakenly sends him to the new warehouse district until yeah, the, the new warehouse number eight, thinking that's what he means. And then it's at that new warehouse where we, we then find that there's a second warehouse in the old warehouse district. He, he also gives Rio a tip that the guards tend to get off shift at around 7pm, implying that the warehouse district is, you know, this private area guarded by security. And obviously, he's if he wants to get in there, he's going to have to infiltrate it at night. So this, this leads into Rio, obviously, sneaking into the old warehouse district, if you want to take it from here, Titch. Yeah, sure. So... We go from day to night and it starts to, it cuts over to the harbour at night. So it's all dark and it's all beautifully lit. And we see Rio hiding behind a solid fence and he's looking into a window of a guard's office. So this is quite reminiscent of the game. So the guard turns his back at the window and that's Rio's opportunity to sneak in. So he makes his move and he sneaks in under the shelf. So there's like a shelf <laughs> just underneath the window of the office like a window ledge type thing and there's like pens on it which uh, ends up being problematic for Rio because the phone rings in the office and it makes Rio jump so he hits his head and he knocks a torch off but luckily he's got good reactions because he, he manages to swoop down and catch it and the guard doesn't even notice him just carries on his phone conversation <laughs> that's a, a good scene in the game mm. into like if you mess that up yeah. just the wind <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, is it is it Q, it's QTE, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rio dives for it and catches it. Yeah. So uh, what was quite a stark difference was uh, Rio gets up from 
you know, diving down and getting the torch, he gets up and makes it slightly past the office and then a bag's thrown over his head and then it cuts to black. So I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And this character that did that, is that was Guizang, do we think? It was really hard to see because it was it was dark. It could have been. Oh, actually, but... there's more actually in the moment. And there's more Chens that mm. you know we were referring to last week. How we were we were yeah. um, debating about Charlie and the gang calling them the Chens, and there's only two of them. But we do actually see a couple of the the Chens cronies, I suppose. If the the gang's <laughs> called Chen, I suppose, in this particular anime. But um, I think it probably was one of them, maybe that jumped real. Exactly. It, it looks like it, doesn't it? Just a random yeah. henchman just grabbed him and thrown him, thrown him in a bag. Well, he's had a bin on his head last week and a bag on his head this week. It's not going very well, <laughs> is it? <laughs> what we'll see next week. <laughs> so it cuts into warehouse number eight, and the bag's pulled off Rio's head, and he start. He's a bit startled because obviously he's been kidnapped. So he's looking around the room, and you can see antiques and crates and things. And then it shows a container that's branded with, well, I assume it's uh, Chinese characters. It says Jiu Feng Company. And then it cuts to Rio and he's tied up on the floor and he's surrounded by two henchmen that are sort of dressed all in black. So quite nondescript, but assumingly they're part of, well, <laughs> as we then find out, uh, Master Chen and Guizang's group. Mm. So they instruct the henchmen to untie Rio and they apologise for capturing him because it's not... Not quite the, the nicest introduction, is it? <laughs> so Rio then introduces himself as the guy who called on the phone and that he's in possession of a letter from Yuanda Zhu. And then he confirms that the letter instructed him to contact Chen if the situation got dire, which, given what happened to Iwal, I think we can assume that it has got pretty dire at this point. Yeah. So Chen tells Rio that Yuanda Zhu is an old friend and he also lives in Hong Kong. And he's well known in their world, which alludes to the criminal underworld. So this puzzles Rio a bit as to, you know, why why would his father be associated with people like that? So it's clear at this point that Rio's really, really doesn't know a lot about his father, especially yeah. if he's got like a criminal past. Makes you think, doesn't it? Like because from what we know from the games, Rio's not really that kind of character, and there's not really a, a criminal underworld vibe going on from that side of things. There obviously you've got your gangs like you that you see in Hong Kong and Kowloon that are in the way of Rio, but they're not really something you'd think of are, are tied to Iwao as such. I don't know. Unless you think differently than me, Matt, like in terms of Landy being involved in that, does that does that instantly make Iwao involved? Or it's just not really covered in that way, is it, in the game? No, in, in the games, it's very much intimated with Master Chen that he, he is a bit dodgy, but you don't. it doesn't allude to anything, whereas obviously here it's it's much more in your face. This is, you know, illicit, it's dodgy, mm. um, all sort of under the table, cloak and dagger sort of stuff. So for Rio to question why his dad's involved here, it, it makes sense because I think he obviously has a particular view of his father that's, I think, slowly being diminished over time. Whether he was actually involved in any sort of dodgy things underground, we don't know at this point because he might have been dragged into a situation because he had to have been. We, we don't know. And this is part of Rio's journey. But I think the context here around this, this criminal underworld, I think, gives a lot more questions than it does answers. But good questions, it, give, it fills the context out. It fills out why why they're doing what they're doing. It actually fills out the threat to Rio in terms of going into this world that he doesn't know anything about. Um, he's come from a quite a squeaky clean background to then go and 
be chasing the Chiyu men who are up, you know, quite like they're trained killers and he's going after them. It's, I like that sort of filler content around the, around the Chens and, and their, their dodgy dealings. So Chen tells Ryo about a precious mirror that was transported across China's borders by a Japanese. So I presume they're alluding to Iwao in that, in that case. And Yuan De Zhu was the one who facilitated the transportation. And that, that leads Ryo to mention that Landi took the mirror with Chen recognising the name of Landi. Yeah. And then Ryo begs Chen to tell him what he knows, because if he knows Landi's name, he must know about Landi and what he's about. So Chen then asks Ryo if he knows who the Chiyu men are, and he says they're one of China's most powerful and ever-expanding underground networks. And then I think it cuts to a shot of the plate. Yeah, with the Chiyu figure on. Yeah. Yeah, we got some really cool scenes actually. This I really appreciate them going into this Chinese history and the the lore behind the mirrors and the you know, this Chiyu beast, and it just makes exciting viewing for myself. Really like seeing this, this Chinese folklore sort of stuff going on and how they represent it, how they're representing it in the anime is is really cool. You know, like the visuals of the dragon and the the phoenix, and I think there was a that bit where there's like a thing with clouds and stuff and the big dragon mirror goes across the screen right mm. is that there's a that that bit yeah yeah that, <laughs> that's really good yeah and there's a, a chiyu monster emerging out the cloud as well yeah amazing see that's the kind of stuff i, I love to see <laughs> yeah they've really thought about it haven't they put a lot into this mm, yeah totally so then chen suggests to rio that landy is a master of a particularly dreadful form of martial dreadful. arts yeah <laughs> <laughs> i highlighted that because that was in the subtitles so it sort of mm. alludes to some sort of evil i suppose again it's it's cool seeing a little bit added into these scenes obviously you get these scenes where you're talking and master chen does mention chiyu monster and stuff but it's like more of a passing comment when it's happening in the game and you don't really see the intensity of things that could be happening until say probably like the end of shemu 2 once you start seeing some of these mysterious elements mystical elements suddenly start happening so I remember playing Shemu 1 originally, and you just think it's a, a very realistic Japanese world simulation sort of game. These aspects didn't come across. Maybe it was just because I was young and I wasn't expecting that kind of stuff to happen in the story, but they kind of don't really go into detail into these sort of things until the second game. So seeing them flesh it out a little bit more in the anime and already alluding to this monster sort of thing is, is cool to see, I think. Yeah, I like it. I, I think in the in the games, I think that, that you're limited, aren't you, to what you can do. You can't pack too much in. Things spiral out of control. And here, where is it, what, a minute scene, 30 seconds, where they're showing, like, the mirror, Chiyu, et cetera. And again, that's, you know, a lot of work. I think things have to go elsewhere with games, whereas here they can show it, give a good context, and you're away in, in 30 seconds, and it just adds to the lore of the mirrors, which I, I really, really like. It's Again, it's just building that story. It's building that context it's building everything around rio's story we were saying about this earlier um that everything's in the games from rio's point of view whereas here you're getting several points of view of what's going on and it it just adds into that world building and that characterization of what's going on in the anime and so much so that if you want to carry on with the next scene matt we get an entirely brand new location and subplot as such so what, what's going on here? We do. So it's called Zhui Hall, and it's somewhere in China. We don't know where, but we know it's China because on the screen, um, it actually has the Chinese characters for, for the person speaking, 
which yes, yeah, a nice little sort of touch there, nice nice bit of attention to detail. And Landy and his henchmen are interrogating this man. They've got him in like in a headlock and choking him, um, threatening him for information of the mirror. Eventually, like they let him down a bit. Landy sort of steps up in front of him and he's like, I want to know about the mirror. I want to know what's happened to it. And this other gentleman, whose name we don't know, turns around and says that it was taken back to Japan by a Japanese guy and that Yuanda Zoo was the one who sort of arranged this all. And then Landy sort of mutters to himself, Yuanda Zoo, and it cuts back to warehouse number eight again. But mm. I wonder where this scene came from. Was it in the script originally and we didn't get Could it in be, the game? Yeah. Or, or did they put something in and make up a new location as a bit of context as to why Landy actually ended up in Japan and why he's after you, Andrew because that's the name that's been thrown around for it quite seems a lot. very specific, though, doesn't it? You, mm. like, Yuhi Hall. And I think when we were streaming earlier, people were saying it was in a place called Langzhou or something like that? Or... Yeah, very close to it. Well, close to there, yeah. So... Um, which is interesting, because that's not really a location that's been spoken of at all no no and this i mean this is again why it begs the question whether it was in the scripts or not originally and it was just supposed to be a little flashback scene and they got rid of it or didn't bother with it or they've the anime team have gone do you know what we actually need a bit more landy here we need a bit more context of why and what's going on and they've they created this from scratch either way it fits um and it's got us talking, hasn't it? Because it's completely new it's completely different yeah totally because i was racking my brains as to whether it was you know, a building in Shamu too, because there's lots of different buildings with different names. And I thought, oh, I've not seen that one before. So maybe it is completely new to the story. It fits. It, it Whether it's scripts, whether it's made up and, and they put it in, it fits. And getting more landy, I'm, I'm all for it. Because I think he gets, what, in, in three games, he says, what, the grand total of about six lines? I think we've had six lines in like one anime episode so it's again it just adds to this characterization of, of landy and, and his own motivations but it goes back to what we were just saying that you're getting several people's points of view as things are going on you can sort of cut between them you know Bailu village rio's point of view landy what he's up to and it, it just adds more lore to this to this story which is obviously all starting to kick off now so we sort of jump back into warehouse number eight after this this scene in the hall and rio is again touching his plaster thinking of landy and i think again that's quite symbolic isn't it with with landy and the scar that, that he gave him guizang asks his father if landy is seeking the phoenix mirror which i find quite interesting that guizang even knows about the phoenix mirror at this point because it's not intimated in the games that he particularly knows about it and Chen interestingly scolds squeezing for not maintaining proper form of address in front of guests, which I thought this is interesting. It's slightly different because they seem to have a warmer relationship in the games than they do at the anime here. Yeah, it's it's kind of cold, a bit like how I was. Very cold, very very cold. Um, I think we were saying in in the stream that it's very the, the characteristic similarities are, are very much there. Rio confirms that one mirror was stolen, to which Chen confirms there is a second one depicting the phoenix. So then you get the law around the phoenix come up on the screen again. It talks about all of that. And again, it's a nice nice bit of context to it. He, claim, he claims it's safe to assume that Landy knows about the second mirror, but probably didn't assume that, that Awao had it. And Rio then entrusts himself to find it before Landy gets a hold of it. He then leaves the warehouse district by scaling the gate. 
with a character hiding in the shadows. I thought this character was one of Charlie's henchmen. It looked like him, but it could have been Goro, similarly dressed. It's interesting to see who that is. And are the Mad Angels, if it is one of them, you know, if they do they know who Rio is now and are going to monitor him carefully? Or is it Goro being nosy? Or is it could it be somebody else? It's, it's open for debate, I think. Who do you assume it is, Titch, if you think it's Goro? Or... Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that because I thought... I definitely Goro? I'm not entirely sure now. I've been thrown. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I thought that I thought it was Goro in the shadows, just you know, keeping an eye on Rio in case he couldn't get in. Yeah, it could be. That makes sense story wise because mm. he pointed him in that direction. Yeah, so so because Goro is quite friendly with you know people of the harbor and he's quite familiar in the game. So I thought maybe if Rio had any trouble getting in, Goro was there to sort of step in and like liaise with the guards and say, "Oh, you know, Rio's my friend, etc." What do we actually see? Do we see legs, body? Is it how how dark and you've concealed got, is this person? You've got legs. And sort of an arm, and you can see like a purple T-shirt. And the reason I thought it looked like one of Charlie's henchmen, it looked like he had like almost like a waist jacket-y type thing on, which I know the guy in the purple who sits with him at the building site in um, uh, Yamanose, El Sakurujiko, is um, he's uh, it's the same dress that he's wearing there, exact same clothes, which is why I thought it might have been one of Charlie's henchmen. But obviously, Goro wears purple as well. He does. He does. Could um, be Goro. We'll find out. Good catch, anyway, guys. So moving into warehouse number eight again, Guizang is concerned about helping out Rio, as it will have repercussions with the Chiu men and the Mad Angels. But Master Chen says they have no choice but to help him, as it's been requested of Zhu. Obviously, going from the letter there. So Chen puts Guizang in his place for his constant pleading, implying that Guizang is a subordinate in the organisation and has no say in the matter. So again, very cold to Guizang, his father and son relationship. If you were coming new, new to the series, you perhaps would not know that the father and son, the way they're mm. having at each other. Yeah. <laughs> but, but obviously he does mention that you know Guizang does refer to him as father and says that they only become father and son again once they leave the underworld. So interesting, isn't it? sort of take on that yeah and it, I mean, it gives more context to their relationship but i was i was surprised how cold he was yeah so, me too he's, he's really friendly in the, in the game isn't he master chan yeah he's quite yeah. a nice bloke in the games um yeah. clearly not <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i didn't realize how sort of deep in the underworld that chen and guizhong were because personally i didn't get that impression from the game so they're really sort of hammering it home in, in the anime that they've got quite a cold relationship and they are quite criminal. Whereas I went into the anime thinking, you know, they were sort of a bit more innocent than that. So it's an interesting take on the characters. Yeah, we did check out because obviously I've, if you use Super Pass or you can still get onto the, the old Shenmue passport disc and get online with the, the passport section, they obviously they've got backstories. So I think I read, was it this one on stream, the old warehouse number eight back, backstory, which kind of does, this is like original Shenmue backstory for the game, if you know what I mean. So Master Chen and Guizan can be found in this warehouse. It's used as a warehouse for works of art, but it's said that contraband cultural assets for which export overseas is prohibited are secretly stored here. Dummy works of art are also casually stored in order to deceive the authorities so that they can't be differentiated by the untrained eye. Master Chen also owns warehouses at a number of other harbors, but this warehouse was managed by Guizang. And then if you check out the profile of Master Chen, 
It says, he is one of the few wealthy Chinese magnates living abroad in Japan and is a big name in the trading business. He owns numerous trading operations worldwide, including the one in Yokosuka. While he deals in a variety of high-end merchandise, Master Chen is particularly well-versed in antiques and has multiple patrons. He is said to own numerous works of valuable art, some of which are rumoured to be national treasures, but nobody knows for sure. It says he looks gentle and kind at first glance, but is a very calculating buyer with a stoic composure, no matter what. So yeah, I mean, it, it does allude a little bit, if you read like the back history there, that they are involved in the sort of criminal activity, contraband and whatnot. So, you know, it's, it's fateful in that sense, but it is very unexpected to see because, like you say, in the games... If you're just playing the games without that sort of context, they do just come across as like a, a nice chap and <laughs> a bit of an angry son. So it's kind of a bit, kind of reversed in this, in a, in a sense, an angry dad and a you know a son that's a bit quiet, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's totally changed my opinion of both of them. I look at them in a different light now. Bastards. So Master Chen then tells Guizang that he has an assignment for him as well, but we don't learn what that is just yet, but we do find out eventually that he's he's basically told him to go catch up with Rio, I think, right? That's right, yeah. That's what he's alluding to. So we cut back to the next day in Iwal's room in the Hazuki Dojo. So Rio's back home, he's looking all over for this second mirror because uh, once he gets an idea in his head, you know, he can't let it go. <laughs> and he's started his search in Iwal's room. So he, he, he doesn't find it immediately but he does find a sword in a box and there's clearly no sign of the mirror around but yeah they, they do put a lot of emphasis on this sword because it's quite you know prominent item to find um, but then he goes into the dojo and he starts trying to stand on a stool and look behind a picture so he's, he's trying to cover all bases at this point but whilst he's on this stool he loses his footing and he falls over <laughs> and luckily, <laughs> luckily, Fuxon and Ine-san come running because they obviously hear the crash and they see Rio in pain on the floor. Yeah. So, we were expecting him to grab the mysterious scroll, weren't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was. was. This scene. <laughs> and I, I kind of hope that maybe, even though they didn't show it, he did because there is some nice, I don't know if he's going to get it translated by Guizang or whatever, but obviously we know it's in Rio's inventory at the end of Shenmue 3, so it's like some significance in the, the game. Yeah, definitely. I'd be, I'd be surprised if they retconned it. Maybe you'll find it somewhere else potentially. Yeah, maybe like a future episode because it's unusual to for them to show that standing on the stool to get behind the thing to then not do anything with it. So maybe Mm. he'll remember and go grab it again. I don't know. Possibly. Um, I I hope it's not retconned because it's certainly what we'd be led to believe with the games is going to be quite an important move to Rio at some point. So if they've retconned it, I do wonder what that implication that could have for for a Shenmue 4, but anyway. Yeah, well, we've we've debated it being the move that Landy killed Iwa with, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> At one point, Going, judging from the translation anyway that Guizang gives you, but whatever, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so it cuts over to the living room in the Hizuki residence, and... Ine-san is nursing poor Rio's back, <laughs> so she's putting a little bandage on, so he's clearly hurt himself. Even though he looks, you know, nice and muscly yeah, and toned. he's been thrown around a lot more than that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, all, all those fights and it's a stool that eventually gets him. But anyway, he starts talking about the Phoenix Mirror with Fuxon. And in this scene, I notice a little Easter egg, which alludes to the game. So you can see the Sega Saturn placed on top of the TV, yeah, which if you cool. play the game, you can 
find it in the cupboard underneath and then you place it on top. So I like that little nod to the game there. So they're talking away and it turns out that neither Ine-san or Fuxon are aware of the mirror. But then Ine-san mentions that Iwao had trusted something to an antique dealer in the town literally days before his death. So obviously that sparks uh, Ryo's uh, imagination. He's like, oh, I wonder if that's the, the Phoenix mirror. Hmm. Um, Very faithful to the mm, game. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, You crack on if you want, Mark. Okie doke. So following that, Rio goes to the antique shop in, in Dabuita. He comes out of the storeroom. The antique shop owner comes out um, with the item that Edouard had left for safekeeping. Uh, it's not the mirror. It's the sword handguard um, kept in a white fancy box. And the dealer confirms it depicts the Hazuki family crest. Now, one slight difference here is in the games, it's the shape of a snowflake. But here it's circular. Just a slight change. I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just something that perfectionists might might pick up. And it's been passed down for generations to the Hazuki heir when they turn 18. Ryo comments that it's not the Phoenix Mirror mentioned by Master Chen. And then the antiques shop owner asks Ryo if he, uh, he means Yaoin Chen of Feng Company. It's interesting. I don't think we ever hear the name of the company or whatever, do we? No, we don't at all in the game. So again, it's a bit again, it's a bit more context. And, and Rio confirms, yes, it is. And the the antique dealer says that um, they're run by an overseas Chinese gang within Yoko. Yokuska, uh, who have amassed a fortune from smuggling antique art, and he doesn't. In, um, interestingly, says you, know, you probably shouldn't be associating with them. I'm thinking it's a bit too late now, but it gives <laughs> yeah. it gives that again. It's that depth of the criminal underworld that the, the, the Master Chen and Guizhong are actually involved in. It, it runs really, really deep. If if you know, shop owners know about it, they go, "Yeah, this is a bit dodgy." You, um, they they've obviously taking a conscious decision to really hone in on this, I think, is for impact, which you certainly felt later on in the episode, I think. So following this, following this, it cuts back to one of the, one of the famous scenes in Sakurujika where um, Rio knows he's been tailed and he confronts him and Guizan comes around the corner and he lunges at Rio with a series of attacks which ends up with Rio being thrown against the wall. Rio wonders what's been going on and... Guizan confirms he's testing Rio and that he's been entrusted as his bodyguard. And actually, Rio's quite annoyed about, about this. You can see he sort of clenches his fist and he's not particularly happy about it. And Guizan tells him to relax, especially he doesn't know the gravity of his situation, which is, um, I'm sure that was a line in one of the teaser trailers that were, were yeah. put out a while ago. So that's yeah, Guizan saying that. And then he urges uh, Rio to find the mirror before Landy does. And Rio then turns around and questions the fact that Guizang and Master Chen are father and son. And why is he acting formal by his instruction to guard Rio? Uh, Guizang just turns around and says it's none of his business, so leading to it being a bit of a... It's very Guizang, isn't it? It's yeah, none of your business. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously, obviously a sore subject for him. Meanwhile, we cut to Chai on the rooftop, who's been above the pair the entire time overhearing the conversation. And that's pretty much one-to-one to the game. He's on that roof of that house. And he, he listens to that conversation and jumps off and runs away. And, um, yeah, this this particular scene is, is very much in keeping with with the games. There's a bit more conversation than than the games give you, but pretty much shot one-to-one. It's great, a, a perfect recreation of it, and it fits really nicely. Yeah, spot on. So this is like typically you're heading back home, aren't you? With yeah, the, that's right. With the, the sword handguard. But here it skips back to the Buita Street, and we've got Rio passing Ida Florist. 
where Nozomi is outside talking to Mai. So this is cool. We're seeing another character from the harbour who ends up turning up in, in Dubuita, of all places. So Rio says to Mai that it's been ages, alluding to her, their acquaintance. Nice to get a bit of interaction with Mai. Just makes me think that in the future, now we've we've met up with Goro as well, there's going to be that sort of Goro-Mai thing going on, possibly in the next episode or two. They then ask why Rio's looking gloomy, and he asks them where they would consider hiding a mirror. Uh, Nozomi says something about a secret room so that she wouldn't see um, so that she wouldn't be seen looking at herself in it. What's that mean? It was a bit weird this. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember it at the time thinking what the on about secret room. Yeah, yeah, it was it's I don't know if it's again if it's translation or it's just something that we didn't pick up in context. But she talks about they don't want to hide mirrors um or something because they want to see how they look. Um, but if she did oh, want to she's hide she's thinking it, of it like a full mirror, maybe. Yeah, she's thinking of a standard <laughs> yeah. normal mirror, whereas obviously Rio's completely, completely yeah, different okay. track. Um, but when she mentions that secret room, it's then, I think that's his light bulb moment, isn't it? He's like, oh, hang on a second. Maybe there is yeah. somewhere. It's a, a secret room. Yeah, the dojo. Kind of thing. Yeah. So Mai leaves and Nozomi's called back to work. She says she wants to talk to Rio about the future. This leaves the viewers stumped as Rio to what she means, which we kind of are expecting it to be something about, you know, the Canada thing that we might have got in the previous episode when she got the phone call from her dad yeah. from Canada. So they haven't actually gone into that in this episode, but I, I still expect to see something happening in the future with Nozomi telling Rio that she's she's been forced back to Canada kind of thing. So we'll see where that goes. But back at the Hatsuki residence and in the dojo, skips and we get this nice sparring scene between Rio and Fukusan, very reminiscent of the games where Rio and Fukusan are always sparring in the dojo together. And then after this, they start cleaning the dojo together. Then Fukusan notices that Rio is getting stronger in his martial arts capabilities, but Rio kind of, he still doesn't think he's any match. You know, it shows the flashback of him getting twatted by Landy <laughs> and obviously his dad getting thrown, thrown across the room kind of thing. So he, he still doesn't think he's that strong compared to the likes of like Landy and, and Chai. But whilst carry on cleaning, Fuxan notices the slots in the wall. He's always wondered what they were for kind of thing. Ask Rio what he thinks they're for. Rio's unsure, but he recognises the family crest on the left, which obviously now he's got the sword hangar. That triggers another light bulb moment, I guess. And Fuxan says he's going to go off and clean the garden, I think, which yeah. made me think that Rio takes the word garden and thinks about where the mirror was buried under the tree. That that's kind of what I was thinking. He kind of like touches his plaster and there's a bit of like a a twig moment. Mm. That might just be reading too much into that. But anyway, he makes it back to Iwao's room and digs out the sword, which is like that big katana blade. And the box actually has the same crest on the front of it. He then takes the sword back to the dojo and places the handguard in the left slot and the sword into the right slot. So very reminiscent of the games again. It's just a little bit faster than yeah. discovering it, I suppose, that you would in the game. So the wall parts slightly and allows Rio to enter the secret room. And then we've got that, that ladder leading down to the basement, which once Rio gets there into the basement, it's a lot smaller size than it is in the game. There's a lot more going on in the game version of the basement, but that's fine. Rio's like instantly drawn to this box that's on top of an old chest, again, depicting the Hazuki family crest. And then he opens the box and finds the Phoenix mirror. So it's quite simple. It doesn't have to break a wall down or anything daft like that. It's just there. 
saying like, pick me up, I'm here kind of thing. And as soon as he picks it up, a strong beam of light kind of like shoots off towards uh, a bootcase to the right from like the, you know, like the little orb thing in the middle of the mirror, which mm. is pretty cool. And it actually highlights a photograph of Rio's father and an old acquaintance in Bailey Village. It's kind of like sticking out of a few books. Um, so that was quite interesting. I don't know if that's some sort of a magic thing or it just happened that the sunlight reflected and I don't know if Ewa would set it up so that that happened or it was just a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> but either way, it's it's cool. He's He's got the photograph of his father and this friend uh, in Bailey Village, which obviously, if you haven't played the games, you've been seeing glimpses of Bailey Village. That's where Shenfar is at the moment. So that's quite cool. We're going to find out more about that later. That was a bit of a mouthful. Do you want to take this massive chunk, Titch? It lead us all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to read this bit because I'm probably going to get confused over what I've written. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's go then. So we cut back to warehouse number eight and Rio's back in the warehouse with Chen and Guizong and he's got the Phoenix mirror in tow now. So Chen believes that Landy knows about the second mirror, but he didn't actually know that Iwao had it in his possession, which is why he only left with one. So... Yeah, Landy got the dragon mirror, and then Rio's now found the second phoenix mirror. So then Chen says Yuanzu wants to explain to him about the prophecy, so the one we've heard many times throughout the anime. Yeah. Well, in short, it's when the dragon and the phoenix meet, the gates of heaven and earth will open, and Chiyu, which is the monster, will resurrect itself on earth. And based on this, Chen believes that Landy is planning something along the lines of, of that prophecy, and so he needs both mirrors to achieve it. And it's at this point that Sneaky Chai swoops down from above. He snatches the mirror from Ryo, which the force of it throws Ryo back against some crates. So Guizang steps in and he challenges Chai, but he can't get hold of him because he's too fast. Eventually, he does get a kick into Chai's chest, which throws him right back. And then Chai retaliates by throwing a vase at Guizang. <laughs> Probably a priceless yeah. antique vase. Oh no. And then he starts jumping up high and scaling to the top um, near the ceiling on some like overhead structures. So Chen and Guizhong act fast and Guizhong gets Rio to press a button on the wall, which causes those overhead structures that Chai's got himself up to. They start to wobble and move and then that throws Chai off balance. And as a result of that, Chai loses grip of the mirror, which then starts to fall really quickly to the ground. And luckily, Rio manages to catch it. So it's not, you know, smashed into a million pieces. <laughs> That's the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chai just finds himself defeated and he just he just escapes out of an open window, which you know, should have left that closed. <laughs> That's how he got in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Security flaw. <laughs> so just get back to talking. And Chan believes that Chai was sent by the Mad Angels because of their connection with the Chiyu men. And Guizhong confirms that the Mad Angels are a competing operation to what the Chens have got going on. But instead of antiques, they're dealing with you know, smuggling arms and illegal drugs, which you know, is a bit more dodgy than uh, antiques, I suppose. And he believes that they would have helped Landy during his visit to Koska. So he probably you know, sorted out his boat and getting across and things like that. Okay. And that leads Rio to thinking that if he can get to the Mad Angels, then that'll be his lead to get to Landy. But at this point, the Chens believe that Landy's already left Yokosuka, so he's, he's got what he's come for and you know he's made his getaway at this point. And they think that he's gone to Hong Kong. And it sort of confirms this while he's telling Rio because it shows a cutscene 
with Landy asking his henchman to arrange his immediate departure from Yukoska. Yeah, nice to see this again. It's like the perspective of Landy again. And he seems to have like a sort of a residence in Japan, doesn't he? So he's got this sort of Chinese looking room again, but it's not that hall, is it? It's it's somewhere in Japan. He's looking out the window or whatever. It's pretty swanky as well. Yeah. <laughs> so then Rio directly asks the Chen's if they can help him get to Hong Kong, but they tell him it's a waste of time. And of course, Rio being stubborn, he retaliates and he says, well, you know what, Grisong, what would you do if you were in my shoes? You know, would you shut up and take your father being killed right in front of you? You know, just watch it happen and just leave it at that. So then Rio really hits an over Grisong when he particularly says that no matter what happens, he will always be his father's son. So again, it's it's alluding to that weird relationship that Master Chen and Guizong have got going on. So even though they're related, you know, they're all about the... The business, the uh, underground business they got going on. So that causes a flashback to the scene where Master Chen says they will only be father and son when they leave the underworld. So that was earlier on in this episode. It's when they were at the top of the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> so Master Chen then rejects Rio's request for help because he doesn't want to lead a young boy like himself into the criminal underworld, which for me, I thought you know, he's, he's probably relating Rio to his own son, Guizong, and thought, oh, I don't want to put someone else through that. He probably has this underlying guilt of that he's dragged his son into all the underworld stuff. So then this leads to Rio questioning his father, and he asks Chen if Iwa was part of any sort of criminal underworld gangs himself. But Master Chen refuses to answer and says the only way that Rio will ever find out is if he ends up getting involved himself with those organisations and facing off with the Chiyu men, which... Yeah, he's already tried to talk Rio out of doing by refusing to let him, refusing to help him go to Hong Kong. So is that is that, a lo- is that I'm trying to work out where they're taking this now. Are they, are they trying to say that Chen knows that Iwao was involved in this sort of stuff? I don't know if they're saying he knows. I think it's more intimated, isn't it? That there was something something dodgy going on, and he doesn't want to. I think a to lead Rio down that path and put him in danger. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it might be a bit of a protective measure as well, that he probably doesn't know what his father was up to, may not want to find out. Yeah. So Rio confirms that he's still going to go after Landy after all that, and he doesn't fear death, as if he did, he'd never see his father for who he really was. Which, again, hits a nerve with Guizhong, because it cuts back to Guizhong, and he's, like, taken aback a bit, and then I think it then shows a shot of Master Chen. So they're really sort of putting an emphasis on this relationship between Chen and Guizong. And then Rio decides that he's going to get strong, as it's the only thing that he can do. This this is exactly what we've been talking about, isn't it, Matt, where they're, like, they're not going for the revenge side as such. They're like really harking onto this, what could a wow have done kind of thing. You know, what was a wow involved in? Rio doesn't really know who his father was kind of thing. And those are the answers he's kind of seeking into. He's, he wants to get strong to find out what his father is involved in, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And I do think the revenge element may take a stronger precedence as he gets to Hong Kong. We know that Ewing's quite big on him not taking revenge. So I, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. But at the moment, it's it's very much around Rio. You don't know your father. What, what, was, he, what was he involved in? What was he doing when he was in China? And what answers are you trying to get and at the end of the day the only the only motivation he's got or the way to do it is get is to get stronger but i think he's being fueled by the wrong things isn't he's being fueled by vengeance and also 
by self-doubt around his father. So it's I'll be interested how that all plays out as we hit Shenmue 2's con, uh, content. Um, but obviously we're we're not quite there yet. No, we've still got a few more to go. I, I would I would assume we were trying to break it down what we thought might be in the next episodes. Mm. Um, perhaps maybe another two episodes in, in Japan. So it's going to be interesting to see where these things get taken. So in the very final scene of this episode, we see Landy jetting off on his boat to Hong Kong. And he's sort of on that big speedboat thing, and he, and he swerves past a large ferry. So it does look like the ferry from the game, the, the Genpu Maru. So I don't know if they're already showing that in this form, or it just happens to be a big ferry <laughs> that's boarded up at the um, at the harbour there. And then we get the end credits roll, which is the same as the previous episode, depicting Ryo and Nozomi's friendship. So that's it, guys. So great job. Before we actually move on to that episode four preview that we got a taste of, we're going to have a quick break with a piece of music from Shemi One's OST, which is rather fitting after meeting Guizang. And this is a technique passed down. Welcome back. That was a technique passed down from Shemi One's OST, which, in case you weren't aware, you can actually find on Spotify and Apple Music as part of that Shemi One and Two Sound Collection soundtrack. Um, Shemi Three soundtracks also on there if you'd like to really immerse yourself in Shemi music. Perhaps you know someone that hasn't played the games yet would be interested in checking out some of the music at least. So that episode four preview, Matt, you were able to share with us what actually happened. What do you think we can probably expect to see in the next episode? Well, I think this 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 one is a is a bit of a fan service because we are getting forklifts, lots of forklifts. Yay! Um, <laughs> so if you are new to Shenmue and don't understand forklift joke, you're about to. So what it is is basically a very short scene of Rio working the forklift job at the harbour. Um, 
Mark sort of basically taught him how to use the, the, the forklift. He seems quite standoffish, actually, Mark, here. A lot less friendly than he is in the games. And then Rio's driving this forklift around, and someone for Alpha Trading pops up and says, oh, can you bring this box over here? And Rio puts his foot on, I think, on the reverse pedal, puts it in reverse, yeah. it shoots backwards. And he's like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah, um, well, he says something like, I, f- I think I'm getting the hang of this or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll get the hang of this. Whack. Yeah. As he does. Which makes me wonder, you know, that we saw that little bit in that trailer where someone bangs through a wall or something. Yeah, Rio's, <laughs> Rio's lost it and binned it yeah. through a wall. <laughs> And then it cuts to a little scene where he, he thanks Mark for helping him. Again, Mark's quite standoff. He's like, yeah, whatever, and sort of leaves. It's really it's very cold again. In the games, he's quite quite pleasant. But so in terms of what I think we'll get, we're obviously going to get some forklifts. We're obviously going into the, sort of the job section. I think, James, we were talking about this on stream. We're likely, I think, to get the Nozomi Canada thing come through. We know she's had the phone call. It's just how she's going to break that to Rio and how he's going to break her heart and let her down, um, which we all know he's going to do very soon. I'd be interested to see how they put together the Mad Angels interaction at Harbour because there's a lot of fights here leading up to the obviously the 70-man battle, etc. So are they going to use throw in every fight? Are they going to amalgamate fights? I think one thing we were saying is maybe they'll focus more in on Mark and his, his, the issue with his brother. And sort of have that as a main driver to the Mad Angels rather than all the side stuff. Which could be why he seems a bit so standoffish in a bit, you know. Yeah. So it's something's bugging him. Something something's not right. So I think that's what we'll probably get in terms of the context of that episode. Whether we get a little bit of Rio trying to find the money to then go to Hong Kong to then end up at the harbour. Um, possibly it's quite quite probable as well so I think we'll see Mai and Goro perhaps a little bit more because they've introduced Mai so they could be planning to set up their relationship a little bit as well yeah quite possibly I think it will follow the games pretty closely but I do think there will be some liberties taken in terms of condensing it down for the anime but that's fine I have no issue with it looks good though and forklifts I'm quite surprised we're getting what looks to be quite a you know quite a chunk of forklifts I wasn't under that impression at all. Well, I think it was Jason DeMarco says don't expect like a whole episode dedicated to forklifts yeah. or something. But yeah, that was that was yeah. it. He said it on Twitter. Yeah, we do, we'll do something fun or something. He said, didn't he? So, mm. anything else you can think of? Titch, we might see. Oh, I'm hoping we get to see Tom again because we've not seen him since the first episode. No, we haven't actually. Yeah. That's a good point. That's true. So, yeah. Disappeared. Yeah, it's interesting that I ho- I do hope they bring him you know back at least before the end of. You know, Rio leave him because he does teach Rio an important move at the end of Shenmue 1, so I hope they manage to shoehorn Ooh, that in somewhere. I reckon I reckon we might see him back in the harbour now you've said that, yeah. with the tornado kick. And obviously we've got the homeless man we haven't seen yet. Of course, yeah. Could end up seeing him, I suppose, who teaches Rio some moves as well. And I mean, they could have done it for him, get you know, helping him get into the warehouse in this episode, but obviously they didn't do that, so... There's some really good, if you think of like what's to come fight scene-wise, there's some good fight scenes where Homeless Man's being chased by the mm. bike gang into like the chicken race or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a few to do things there. And obviously we're going to get the 70-man battle at some point and Nozomi's going to get kidnapped, we know. Spoilers. I did say spoilers up front, but uh, that is what happens in the game. But right, quality stuff, everyone. Are you ready for some Jim's Poetry Corner? Let's do it. Go on then. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you didn't say no. <laughs> that would have been awkward. So, as usual, really simple. Just say the name of the character who most likely wrote this poem. 
And have you got any guesses from the title? Which is The Secret Message. Ooh. That's an interesting one. My mind's gone to you under zoo. Is it because the characters are backwards on the letter? That's my first. Oh, not a bad show. Yeah, not a bad show. So I think this is actually quite a fitting poem, actually. Um, timed quite well to this episode. Ooh. But yeah, see, see if you can get it. For all those fathers in heaven, this one is for you. I'm lucky that mine is still close too. Together we work like two peas in a pod, often communicating by use of just a simple nod. Under security we are hidden away. Not seven, not eight, but nine dragons we count each day. Our job is in imports and exporting, but if you're looking to get to Hong Kong, we can aid in transporting. Although I would not admit I've been stubborn since birth, but I'll be your bodyguard to protect while residing here on Mother's Earth. Thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine. That thing you just said, no, that was my line. Friends are important, so try to keep them near. So hey, Hazuki, how about we go out for a beer? Comrades we are, that is our fate. Come and meet me at warehouse number eight. Just please don't break another one of my plates, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Well, it's very good, actually. It's Guizang. Yeah, has to be. Guizang, for sure. (laughs) I quite enjoyed that one, because I was trying to work out how I could fit in the secret message, you know, the Father's Heaven, Nine Dragons. Mm, Do it very well. Very clever. So if you if you miss them, listen back and uh, mm. I, I managed to incorporate them. <laughs> it's not Father's Sky then. Not Father's Sky and not all. Com- what was it? The, the new one. Common allies, something like that. Common, all common allies or something. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to I'll have to rewrite the poem for that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- thanks for the visual imagery of uh, Rio and Guizhong having a beer together. That's something I've not imagined That's before. That's true. Yeah. I reckon they they would. Toward, yeah, well, at least towards weird. the end of the game, yeah. Might go out for beer. But anyways, guys, thank you very much for that. Um, Titch, amazing again. Thanks for all the notes you've provided. You've got, this time I'm definitely right, if we plug it now, you've got a stream coming this or next Thursday, okay? So even though it's not next Thursday, just think of it because this is going to go out on Friday. Oh, yeah. So next Thursday, you stream for the dojo. Episode four of your Shemu 3 Let's Play Correct. Yeah, that's it. Looking forward to it. Beautiful. Good stuff. And that stream will end up being a bit of a charity thing. Matt mentioned, did you mention it in this? I don't know if you mentioned it yet, but we're doing a sort of a charity event for Special Effect Game Blast 2022. We're Team Radio Sega, and me and Matt have got our own stream that we're going to talk about a little bit when we get in the news section in a second. So we're just going to let Titch uh, shoot off now. But yeah, you can expect to, to watch Titch stream some Shemu 3 should be doing that for, for charity as well at the same time so yeah hope you can you can join in on that stream would be great to see awesome look forward to it good stuff so take care titch oh thank we'll you see you next see you week later. see you again thanks for having us okay so we're going to jump into the news section now matt again not too much going on but we're going to run through a few things here you may have seen this if you watch um if you've noticed on our youtube channel or IGNs for that matter. But Yu Suzuki's had a little message at IGN's FanFest 2022. What happened in this video, Matt? So FanFest is like an online event IGN do every year, looking at games, anime, and other bits and pieces in the media. Uh, Yu Suzuki popped up looking in very good health, actually, looking very good, very happy. 
and he was just talking a little bit about the anime, just saying that he's hoping that people are enjoying it, um, that it's uh, a way into people who haven't played the games to to enjoy the Shenmue world, and that they shared a, a teaser from episode three, which is Fuku-san and Ryo having the sparring session in the dojo. So it's yeah, a very short sort of two-minute snippet, but it's good to see um, Yu Suzuki out there um, talking about Shenmue, especially on a mainline place like IGN. More coverage, the better, I think, with Shenmue. And this anime is actually nailing it in that respect. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if they've got people excited by seeing that clip. Do you think that's one of the more exciting clips they could have shown or could they have shown something further down the line, I wonder? I, I mean, it's, it's interesting. They could have gone down the line and showed like a bit of the 70-man battle or something. But, I mean, you're showing a bit of the fighting, which you know, is, is very well done. I, they've got to leave enough to the imagination, haven't they? They can't just go all in on, on one of the big plot points. So I think very clever what they put through. Yeah, and I'm just, I mean, I'm glad that he's he's out doing things with Shenmue and talking about it publicly and looking happy doing it. Because um, obviously, why isn't it doing something? We don't know what. And yeah. hopefully it's Shenmue 4, but we'll, we'll just wait and see. Yeah, like you say, it looked healthy and it looked like, I don't I could be wrong, but it did look kind of like the WiseNet offices maybe. Yeah. I mean, all we see is he's just surrounded by blinds basically, mm. but it did feel like he was perhaps not Zoom, but he was honed in from a different yeah. location. He wasn't yeah. like at IGN. No, it kind he... of looked like that similar sort of office feel yeah, that looked... we see in a lot of the Kickstarter updates and stuff. Look pre-recorded, if anything, but that's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. So, Matt, today which is the, what date are we on here, just for reference. So Sunday the 20th, obviously, this is the the day that episode three of the anime actually was aired. And Shenmue was actually trending on Twitter, right? It was. Um, we've been lucky with this anime that Shenmue has trended a few times. It trended when they announced it. It trended when the uh, t- first teaser came out. And it trended again with the, sort of the release date trailer. But yeah, after episode three, and, and actually... I must correct myself, it trended after the first episode. But this, after episode three, it was trending again in the United States, and one of the highest trending topics in the United States. I believe it was fairly high up in the UK rankings as well, in terms of trending. The anime is doing a hell of a job in getting publicity around Shenmue and getting a positive buzz around it. Now, also, I must go on record of thanking the community groups like Shenmue Forever, Phantom Riverstone, etc., for... Um, you know, for helping push this sort of thing because it works really, really well, and we're getting the the, the voice out there about Shenmue. The anime is getting it out there, and all this is doing is creating more fans. And I'm I'm so pleased that we are we are sh- being able to share this wonderful franchise with so many people. And it is trending. Yeah, well, like you say, it's we're three episodes in now, and Shenmue is still trending. You know, when you know, it's somewhat there's still a, a buzz three episodes in it's not like people have tailed off after episode one or whatever so we're ongoing we're strong and we're committed to the cause i guess yeah Um, which is leads me on to my next topic actually if um, people are out there very passionate about shenmue what can they do over at my anime list i think we mentioned this previously or we want to try and mention this every single episode but obviously this is something that's specifically going to help out shenmue yeah, so my anime list, you know what it is by this point if you've been listening to us for quite a while. What you need to do is search the Shenmue anime on there, list the number of episodes that you've watched, and give them a rating out of 10, basically. Rate it honestly, but if you're loving the anime, you know, give it a good rating, because it's only going to encourage more people to watch this anime and more people to check out the games. And at the end of the day, we want more Shenmue, and this will contribute to us getting more Shenmue. 
Yeah, definitely. And if you can do this after every episode, if you remember, and we'll try and remind you anyway, it just helps to keep the ratings going up for every single episode, basically. So Matt, you've actually been speaking to a few people involved in the anime, at least the English dub side of things. You had Joe Daniels last week, and as this particular podcast airs, you've already released your second one, which is with Natalie Rial. Yes, so she's the voice of Shenhua. I'm reciting the prophecy a lot, and actually we talk about the prophecy in, in, in the interview and how it was put together and changed and chopped. Gone, gone through a lot of work. Uh, Natalie was a, a brilliant guest. Thoroughly enjoyed having her on. Very enthusiastic about uh, about her character, Shenhua. And also, and I said this last week, very nervous about how the character came across because she wanted to do well for the community. And this is someone who who wasn't particularly aware of Shenmue before her brother played it as, as a kid, uh, but wasn't particularly aware of it and has taken this on board and really wants to do well. So it's, it's nice, actually, to see that someone's taken that on personally and was was genuinely nervous about how Shenhua would be received. And three episodes in, fantastic job. Get her back for season two. Yeah, 100%, man. So the anime's obviously performing really well up to episode three, but you may not be aware that you can now watch the anime over on your Nintendo Switch handheld gaming console. Crunchyroll, the app location, is actually available to download from the Nintendo eShop. And uh, yeah, so if you are wanting to watch Shenmue the Anime on the move, you've already got your subscription to Crunchyroll, you can sign in on your Switch now and you can watch the Anime on the move, which is is really cool, actually. Yeah. It's I don't know if you've done it yet, Matt, have you? Oh, I did it. I did it. Don't you worry. I've um, I've had a quick go of that, <laughs> sat down. Yeah, I, I will abuse that. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. You might as well, if you've got a Switch anyway, get it yeah, on there. Get Shenmue on there. And uh, yeah, if you're traveling anywhere, get it on. Which leads us into... A few things that the dojo have been doing recently, Matt. So you've started an Easter egg hunting video based on episodes. You did one on episode two, right? Yes, I did. And by the time this is aired, there will be one for episode three. I, ju- I did it as a bit of a bit of fun more than anything else, just a bit of a laugh, something to do. Um, so I can't promise it's going to be for every episode. But what I do is I go through the anime. I pick out sort of five to ten scenes from it. And I highlight and talk about the Easter eggs in there. It's very short, five, seven minute videos, quick fire, in and out, but good fun. And it just shows actually how close to the games and the source material the the, um, the anime actually is. I'm, I'm, it's heartwarming to see how, how close they are. Yeah, and there's some really fun Easter eggs in there as well, like the one from today of the Sake Saturn. So if that does interest you, you want to see some stuff that we spot that perhaps you haven't, go check over at the Shemu Dojo YouTube channel. And you find a whole host of content there anyway. And on actually on shemudojo.com. Ongoing blog posts from Splash Breeze and Hiki. Yeah. Yeah. So check out them. They're, they're weekly occurrence now. Always great, great reads if you if you want to um, have a different sort of take on different perspective on the anime series so far. Yeah, very much so. The Splash does more of a sort of a recap with some little bits and pieces in comparison. And Hiki goes into a lot more detail around the law. Both very good reads, and um, both weekly. And again, it's 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 absolutely nuts that we're we're three weeks into to, to a thirteen week season, and it's it's all hands to the pump at the moment. And it's great for it's great for the franchise. It's, it's the end of that's why we do it. And it doesn't stop there, Matt, because like we alluded to a moment ago, we've got a bump along stream planned. Oh, this, we do. Well, two days from now on the yeah. Sunday after yeah. you're listening to this. 
So I hope you can tune in then. We'll be kicking things off at 6pm. But Matt, if you can tell us what is going on in the stream, because obviously this is a charity stream with a charity called Special Effect. Yeah, so we're taking part. We did this last year uh, in an event called Game Blast. So it's for Special Effect to raise money for, for equipment, to augment equipment for people who are disabled, etc., to play video games. So it's obviously a charity all quite close to all of our hearts in that respect. Um, we're part of Team Radio Sega. So there's going to be lots of streams coming from Team Radio Sega across that weekend. Um, we're going to be starting off with a stream at 6pm where for about an hour and a half we're going to play Shenmue 1 and compare it to the games as closely as possible. That'll be James, Titch and myself doing that. Nice so three-way stream there. Three-way stream there. Um, we'll really sort of drill down to sort of the comparisons to the anime. Have a half an hour break um, where I'll probably like play a video sub description, probably GDC 2014 I'm thinking at this point. And then we will go in at eight o'clock. We'll go into the anime watch along, blind watch along, as we've been doing, and then record the podcast afterwards. So very busy evening busy next Sunday. Sunday. We're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we all talked out by then, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then, like I said, Titch will be streaming the following Thursday, and that'll be a charity stream too, just picking up from where we left off. So check out that. Should be doing episode four of a Shemu three playthrough. Yeah, that's correct. And then finally, if all being well, final announcement on the, that same Sunday, that bumper Sunday, will be a special announcement there. So look out for that. I don't want to reveal it yet, but I don't know. You might be able to work out what it's going to be. But yeah, check that out. Hopefully by then you'll know what I'm on about now. But yeah, wait, wait and see. <laughs> wait and see. You'll like it. So Matt, let's jump into the final part of the podcast want to highlight some awesome forum comments, obviously the Shemu Dojo forums for that matter. So these are 10 handpicked comments just basically about episode two. So we're going to see some feedback from different people regarding that particular episode. And I'll start with the first one by Daniel Mann 861 who says, all right, so where do we begin? Well, obviously we're not getting much in the way of side quests in this anime as there's literally no Megumi or the cat to be seen unless they've restructured and might have a reference somewhere further down the line. But I think it was a novel approach to abbreviate the detective mode of the game. It does, in many ways, feel like cliff notes of the detective stuff, but I'm okay with that. Moves along at a brisk pace and makes sense. I like the little changes they've made to keep it flowing. It's very quick. There's no denying that. The pace just goes and goes. I was stoked to see the Bailu crew. I really did not expect to see anyone else from Bailu in this series, but holy crap, there they were. Arcade sequence... Now just give me a capsule toy sequence and we're good. I really love the fact that the anime allows for other perspectives. I love that we're not so tied to Rio in this and it does allow us to see other things that are going on. That's maybe my favourite part on this take as a whole. It's different but familiar. I was also surprised they changed the location of that fight from the car park to the empty storage room. I thought for sure that the fight was going to be at the docks when I saw it teased in the trailer, but no, it's actually way earlier. And I kind of like that Chai has a big presence and is always lingering around Rio. That's kind of neat. And I really, really love the double blow moment at the end. That payoff was awesome. Spot on. And then we move on to Retro Lord uh, 120. I didn't really feel such a warp speed in this episode at all. I thought the pacing is where it should be. Anyways, that um, was better than the first episode. What a treat that was. So many references, so much character building. Oh my God, I can't contain myself. Laugh out loud. <laughs> lol. lol. Oh, big lol. Yeah. And then Pillman 
says, he loves the fateful recreation of the scenes and backgrounds. I was quite shocked that they included the Bailey crew. So another one shocked by that. Some of the twists and changes were done while the fight scenes were a little bit quick, but I suppose that ties into the whole not wasting flashy moves concept. Uh, okay, not sure what he means. Seeing the arcade was awesome, as well as the heartbeat bar. I think there you're probably thinking you're saving your better animation for the fighting for your big battles, like the 70 man. That might be right. where he was going with that. Possibly. Just yeah. as a guess. Right, so we move on to Kintor. In episode one, I thought they were using Shenmue 3 as a reference for the design for Bailu Village. The presence of so many villages directly from the game confirms that fact. It's nice to see Shenmue 3 being directly acknowledged in the anime, even if the game wasn't published by Sega. That's a very good point, actually, that Sega's anime team are, are animating this, putting this together. So to see Shenmue 3's actual reference and that being taken seriously is, is great. Anyway, I also like how the anime is taking more time to develop Ryo's relationships with the people around him. That sometimes gets lost in the shuffle with Shenmue's open-ended gameplay, depending on how the player handles things. Suffice to say, I'm pleased to see that Nozomi's getting so much screen time this early in the story. The trickier part is going to be Shenhua. It is certainly interesting that the audience has been introduced to her immediately. Hard to say, though, how the writers will keep expanding on her material in Bailu Village. Strictly speaking, Shenhua's story doesn't really begin until she meets Ryo. Interesting yeah. and very true. It's very true as well. It's just it's nice that we are getting a bit more of a fleshed, fleshed out version of her and fleshed out version of Bailey Village before we get there. So, yeah. yeah, I'm on board. That leads to Orient, who says, It was awesome to see Shemu 3 characters so faithfully represented at the beginning. I thought the pacing was solid, tons of scenes, but many of them had a chance to breathe and play out at a leisurely pace when required. Even the streamlined investigative parts show snippets of what happens in the game, like Rio asking about Charlie at the jacket shop, tattoo parlor, etc. It was just so lovingly put together. It felt like a very conscious decision to have Rio not asking about sailors, and I don't blame them. The one part that felt a little scrappy, budget-wise, was the Heartbeats bar fight, which is way cooler in the game, let's be honest. But the fight with Charlie's goons somewhat made up for it when Rio entered beast mode and trashed them fools, I think he means. That big spinny kick thing. Yeah, <laughs> cool. that's well when he does. So we move on to I Got Sriracha in my DNA. Yes, Shenmue 3 characters. I love this. This is like a universal thing, actually. A lot. Of yeah, them. everyone loves seeing the Shenmue 3 characters, don't they? Yeah, which is great. Mm. Great episode, and they handle the investigative parts economically and yet satisfyingly. I really dig more forward Nozomi. I never disliked Nozomi, but I also f never found her compelling in the game. I think the changes are for the better, in my opinion. Also love how much more involved Yagamashi-san it was than in the game at this point. And also they threw in the breadcrumbs of the soccer ball uh, boy by saying Gigi to lead most likely next week's episode with the lady in the Russia China shop. The only thing I wonder is if we'll see Nayuki and Ichiro play any pertinent role in the Yukazuka episodes. I thought initially they may have been cut out of the anime they didn't appear at all until we see the picture of them in Nozomi's room. Yeah, that's true. I mean, is it just going to be the photo only that we'll see them or do you reckon Rio will well, bump into he might he's got to nick someone's motorbike at some that's point that's true yeah Nayuki so yeah could see them again further online next again we've got Kaliskonig91 he says he's just finished up the anime soundtrack release can't come soon enough these new arrangements of familiar themes are great please do earth and sea and swallow dive seeing Shemu 3 characters is amazing and loving how Shenfo has been integrated from Jump this gives me high hopes that the anime will truly flesh out Shemu 3's story shortcomings. That's a good point. We've got a full episode of detective work and the pacing was great. 
What they are doing with a lot of the side characters is great. I never noticed that Fukusan was much older than Ryo in the games yet. Yeah, he's 26 and I can see it in the show. In the games, he was a lovable doof. <laughs> so many nice little details like Ryo having capsule toys, all the locations and characters. The plot focusing on Ryo trying to learn about his father over trying to purely learn about Landy is made for a much better narrative already. This means by default, we will likely get some backstories. We had hoped Shenmue 3 would have had if they ever do a season 2 that tells that game story. We got the female-centric ending theme, like I guessed, and I'm willing to bet that there will be a Shenmue 2 arc that will have a separate ending theme or animation. That's a good point as well. Good idea. quite Nozomi-heavy at the moment. In my opinion, this is making for a much better depiction of Disc 1 than the actual games were in terms of story. No complaints at all for this episode. Whereas number 8 and Phoenix Mirror for episode 3, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was true. <laughs> I guess if I had one concern about the show is I really hope they go all out with the 70-man battle fight. The show needs that one fight that will go viral in anime circles and social media to bring in people that are looking past the show. Yeah, valid point. I think they're going to blow the budget on something like that. They've got to. I reckon so, yeah. And That's... what they've used the budget for already is amazing, so it can only get they better, I guess. To, <laughs> so we come on to Mr. Sun. Uh, he says it's another great episode. Again, love seeing the Shenmue 3 characters, although they're really going hard on the prophecy. It seems like it's bookended both episodes now and two in a row where we have the Shenmue music and prophecy playing over the final scene. We'd be curious if this continues, although hard to see this concluding every single episode. Interesting stylistic choice if they do so, however. I think someone earlier said how they have cut out Shenmue's side events to focus on the core story, although actually this isn't the case. We've had at least two of these events already, the park fight with Eniki, which is very missable in Shenmue 1, and now the double blow with Yagamashi, which is also missable. In fact, Yagamashi-san virtually gets his own mini-arc this episode as he comes to terms with Ryo's desire to learn about the truth about his father after initially sensibly trying to dissuade him. I definitely think there'll be more side stuff, and the Yagamashi scenes were really well done. The continued shift on Ryo's motivation is interesting here, especially considering a big part of the Manmo temple section was Ewing is about her stopping Ryo throwing his life away on revenge. I suppose, though, that may ramp up the revenge side more as we go along. Although, to be honest, Ryo is still embarking on a foolish near-suicidal mission, regardless of the slight shift. So not, not too much has changed anyway. Ryo is still very single-minded and naive here, so there's plenty of room to grow. Also, this version of the nightmare scene gives us the extra Landy moment, which seems to be a real point at what Rio becomes obsessed with finding the truth out about his father. I loved the added scenes again. The way they are developing Rio and Nozomi is really well done. We get to see Nozomi's room. I always want to see something like that after the calls in the game with Nozomi, and I feel like the off-screen mother calling is a reference to those calls too. Pacing felt more relaxed this week, with less heavy lifting to do than episode one. Guizang and Master Chen, next episode, bring it. Very good, man. That's quite a long one. But we're ending with two shorter comments now. Got one from Nick Nick Tack. That's it. I'm in. Whatever the hell they're going to do next, I am down for. I'm loving it so far. They're filling in the blanks. So much context added to some situations in the game. Charlie and Yamagishi scenes are great. Plus that soundtrack. They're sticking with the cinematic style soundtrack, and I love it. Also, most importantly, Cat confirmed canon in the credits. <laughs> True. And we on to the last one was Obi Friends. Uh, just finished, and again, they absolutely nailed it. Loving the extra touches on Rio's relationship with the people around him. I think the look on his face and him touching the band-aid all the time definitely points, still points to the vengeance being part of his drive. It's the thing that he doesn't say out loud. I'm sure somebody will soon call him out on this. Is this about clearing your father's name or getting revenge, is the quotes he's put here. It's a great narrative decision, as clearing his father's name wouldn't require going after Landy, 
but we know he will pivot to chasing after him soon. Awesome stuff. And I'm a fanboy, of course, but this show is still a 10 to me. Great stuff, guys. So if you want to leave your own comment over on the Shenmue Dojo forums, go do it after an episode has aired, and we'll try our best to read them out on the show. I think it's nice to get that extra perspective on things from different people. A lot of people are loving the Shenmue 3 characters there that we're seeing there, which is cool. And that's basically it for another week, guys. So thanks so much for tuning in. If you're listening to us live over on Radio Sega now, or perhaps you're watching us live on the Shenmue Dojo YouTube premiere, or just listening to us on your podcast, Catcher of Choice, it's very much appreciated. So again, join us this coming Sunday, 27th of February at 6pm for a bumper stream for Special Effect Game Blast 2022. We are Team Radio Sega, and then, like Matt said, we'll be jumping straight into our live watch-along of episode 4-2. So until then, take care, and come back in one piece. Take care, everyone. Look at the time.